0: I'm just going to preface this by saying that I did not pick this passage. This passage was picked for me through the lectionary. So, if this passage seems particularly relevant to you, it's totally intentional, but it's not me. It's God. So... Um, It's interesting timing, to say the least, Uh, but we're just going to jump right in and go ahead and read. Our passage is out of John chapter 13, and it's verses 1 through 20, and it's kind of a, a little bit of a long passage like we have been experiencing, so try to follow along with me here. Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. The one of the Lord. that Richard Rohr put out that just follows the lecture theory and he says a little something about each passage and each day. And one of the passages for this week was uh, that passage we read earlier from Isaiah 58. And uh, what kind of stuck out to me from this passage was all of the things that it said about Sabbath. And uh, I had never really thought about the phrasing of it. But he says, refrain from trampling on the Sabbath. From pursuing your own interests on my holy day. Serving your interests. Pursuing your own affairs. Trying to get ahead. These are all the things that Isaiah 58 says are not kosher on the Sabbath. Our family takes Sabbath on Saturdays. And so yesterday, in a moment of peace, which, you know, usually happens only on Saturday, uh, I like, at a time that I'm actually in my house for a period of time, not doing anything, I naturally start making a list of the things that need fixed or completed in our house. And then I remembered this Isaiah 58 passage and thought, hmm... I'll bet starting any of these projects would be considered pursuing my own interests. Uh, See, the problem that we see in this story about Jesus washing his disciples' feet is the exact same problem that we find in our lives. We take a passage like this, and we try to, um, like, repeat it? And uh, several years ago, Caleb preached on this passage. And it's totally just my problem, but I have, like, post-traumatic stress disorder from people preaching on this passage. And it's, like, from my youth group days or something where so many times this passage was built up into this grand, like, foot-washing moment. And so when, when Caleb preached on this passage, I don't know if you remember this. I was like, um, so you're not going to wash people's feet, right? (laughs) Because I'm really uncomfortable with that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, you know, I feel like this kind of thing happens so much when we're confronted, like, with God in our lives. Like, we will experience God in some way. Like, we'll... We'll see God working or experience some grace or some healing or um, just be kind of opened up to an awareness that God is in something. And then immediately after that, when we start to think about what it was, how it was, we start to kind of craft these uh, structures in our head and uh, try to write down, maybe... uh, like, how this is working, and then what we end up with is things like religious ceremonies and uh, spiritual jargon and, and lists of rules, right? Back when I was in college, after Rebecca, we took a trip, I took a retreat to the monastery in Kentucky, and I remember during this time in my life, I was really, like, concerned about, like, like what it meant to be a christian not like not like what you could do and still be a christian but like what should you do as a christian so like i took the focus of this retreat and i decided i was going to create this like rule of life right and it was going to be like this epic rule of life that would account for every situation, like, that could come up in my life, and, like, it would never have to be changed, like, for the rest of my life, because I had done this so well. I mean, I had a whole weekend to do it, so why not? And as I, uh, as I was at the monastery that weekend, it was, like, the main experience that I felt, or the main thing that I felt during that time was just, like, disappointment. Uh, and it was, like, I just like, kept coming up with scenarios in my mind that would totally screw up my rule of life. Like, what if this happens? Well, then that rule won't work. Well, what if this happens? Well, then that rule won't work. And, like, me being, like, such a strategic thinker, I'm, like, thinking through all these things. I'm like, man, there's just no rule. There is no rule that will work for everything. And so, you know, I wanted it to be flexible enough to cover everything, but I also wanted it to be rigid enough to be, like, you know what I mean? Like, like pleasing to God, like good enough for God. What Jesus does over and over again, not just in this book, uh, not just in John's gospel, but in the others, is that he breaks all the rules that were made in his name in order to embody them. And so he walks through a field and he... Grinds wheat in his hand. It might not have been wheat, we'll just say it was wheat. Uh, in his hand on the Sabbath. And I would venture to bet that the religious leaders thought that is pursuing your own interests on the Sabbath, at the very least, because he ate it and gave it to his disciples to eat. Uh, no, you can't do that. This uh, type of ignoring the scorecard is exactly what gets Jesus in trouble. But, I am convinced that if you look at the breadth and the width and the scope of the Bible, it seems to me that the very act of throwing out the scorecard is what God has been up to all along. It's what he does over and over again. You can start in Genesis 1, and you can go all the way to where we find ourselves today, sitting down at the table for dinner with Jesus, not knowing what is about to happen. Now to read scripture like a scorecard there is all kinds of ways you can do that Um, we we love our scorecards in fact our scorecards are actually score score keeping score is kind of the way the world works I mean you it's the norm right keeping score let them pay for their crimes justice was done I deserve that. I'm do it. I know I'm worth it. I was in line first. Why are they crossing the street there? There isn't a crosswalk? That just isn't right. Whose fault is it? I just don't have the time. I just don't have the money. I mean... (laughs) Done the dishes every day this week. Whose turn is it? Maybe a little bit more closer to home. Tax cuts for the wealthy? That doesn't seem fair. We need justice. Social justice. I always thought it's funny that we used the word justice there. Jasmine was telling me, oh, she was here so I can pick on her more directly, but she was telling me that she, uh, she's just, they decided that every time they fly, because burning that fuel is so bad for the, you know, the world, that they're going to plant a tree, like this is the, they exchange. You know, maybe if I do this, this will kind of make up for some of this. It's not a bad idea. I feel like I need to do it because I just it's my turn I should, I need to Scorecards. and if you read the Bible like a scorecard <coughs> man you can I'm going to read a, a little passage out of Genesis 6 this is a uh, Part. This is the introduction to the story of Noah and the great Flood. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. See, I believe that the Bible has been taught sometimes in ways that are inconsistent with the character of God, as revealed throughout the whole Bible. And there are at least two ways to read this, probably many, many more. Uh, But um, some of you know that we visited with my family the Ark Encounter in Kentucky back at Thanksgiving. And for those who created the Ark Encounter, which if you don't know what it is, it's a full-size live replica of Noah's Ark, um, the, the way that they're reading this passage about Noah's Ark is literally. So, so the, the 40 cubits are measured because we're going to build this ark and show people that this is real, literally. And there's all these plans about what was done with the waste and how water was in and, 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 and this is the part of this story that matters. This was real. But when you look at the scope of a Scripture, and when you even look at what scholars know about the way that the voices in Scripture are recorded, and the way the development of faith in Scripture, it feels to me like this passage opens up much more than some literal cubit-by-cubit cubit measurement of what the architecture would have been like. It opens up in such a way that makes it seem relevant now. Right? So, so to me, the 40 cubits seem less important than God somehow found this miraculous way to save people through this massive climate event are you with me what's more important to me what seems more relevant to me is that God cared enough about the species of animals on the earth that God did the work to save them from extinction What seems more relevant to me is that at the end of all this, God hangs up a bow, the weapon of war of the time. If you want to get real, God hangs up the gun and says, no more will we work this way. And suddenly, you have taken the scorecard, what works, what should be, what doesn't work, the judgment of God on the people, the people, and this whole thing. And it seems like God has thrown this scorecard out the window. And we have been invited to view things and in, in life differently and invited into this life of God that is not so much like a scorecard and more like a whirlpool ever giving, ever receiving a cycle that flows that we're invited into over and over infinity eternity laying down my gun, my safety, my rights, receiving my grace, my healing, love, the full extent of God's love, a love that invites us into a relationship where we are able to sacrifice the false gods of our scorecards. The scorecard us says, Why did you take us out here to the wilderness to die of hunger? The trying whirlpool of God replies Provision unbounded. You cannot. Anywhere, without seeing the abundance of the provision I will give to you. The scorecard us says, "Why don't you give us a king like all the other nations?" And the triune whirlpool whispers. The scorecard us says. Why was that perfume not sold and the money given to the poor? You know what I hate about this text? That Judas was there. The ultimate scorekeeper. The one who, who, <laughs> who looked at Jesus, weighed him against 30 pieces of silver, and found Jesus wanting It makes me angry to think that Jesus washed Judas' feet. (laughs) That Jesus invited him into the same relationship as others. And that Judas essentially responded by spitting in his face. But you know what? That also is kind of the key. That this is what God is up to in the world. In the face of this ultimate scorekeeper, Judas, Jesus still doesn't seem to have a scorecard. Jesus still doesn't have a, score, a scorecard. It's all about receiving grace, giving grace, stepping into the world full of grace, inviting the disciples to see the world in a completely different way. It's about throwing out the scorecard and being able to receive what Jesus is doing for us or wants to do for us. It's the, incar- the incarnation is what Jesus has been trying, that, what God has been trying to communicate all along. Too many, too many of us are confused, like Peter was, right? No, don't wash my feet. Too many of us are unwilling to receive because we're still holding on to our scorecard they do that for me, then I'll do that for them. If God does that for me, no, no, I can't. I'm going to try to take care of myself. And then when Peter finds out, when Jesus responds, and Peter finds out that, oh, no, Jesus uh, Jesus has to do this, or I can't be in a relationship with Jesus. When when that is revealed, then Peter goes in the opposite direction, right? He makes it all about the practice. The religious jargon, the ceremony, it's about the water. Okay, well, if I need water, wash my head and my hands, too. I want all of it. No. You haven't got it, Peter. It's not about what you receive. It's not about keeping track. It's an invitation to a relationship as a substantial change in what it means to exist within the world, and to be in relationship with God. In the whirlpool, everything is a gift, even even service, even humility, even washing another's feet. All of that becomes a gift. It's not. It's not about. Uh, the dirt being washed away with the water, it's about stepping into an experience where there's an ever-flowing receiving and giving that we are able to participate with God in. That we step into the triune relationship where we are ever able to receive and give. And only give because we have been able to receive If we continue to measure things by a scorecard, we will always find ourselves wanting. Not because we didn't do enough or it wasn't stacked enough in our favor, but because God isn't measuring by the scorecard at all. We will fail because we have failed to see the way of life that God is inviting us into. will miss the symbol of what Jesus is doing here in washing his disciples' feet. Jesus takes off his outer robe and lays it down, just like he lays down his life. Jesus takes the towel and wipes the disciples' feet, exactly like Mary, the quicker disciple... wiped Jesus' feet with her hair just before this passage. Jesus is showing them what it's like to step into this relationship with God. It's not about the thing. It's about the relationship. It's about an altered (coughs) way of being. To receive something and then to offer it. To step into the whirlpool of love and throw out the scorecard. There's this great movie. It's not Moana, which is a great movie. But in closing today, uh, or, or just before I, I finish today, I want to show you a little clip from one of my favorite movies, Les Mes, not the musical. The one before, who's seen that? Come on. Liam Neeson. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to watch a little clip that is so good and just gives this picture of what it looks like for someone to throw out the scorecard and step into this generative, life-giving way of existence. This is probably not the right way to this. Is. So if you can't see TV, you should find a place where you can try it <clears throat> I'm sorry to disturb you. you Caught him, but I have an eye on this man. Oh, my God, <laughs> I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. Really letting me go. Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam, you don't offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new. Oh my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've brought you soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Jesus doesn't just wash his disciples' feet. He says, You gotta do it for others. You can't, you can't stop the flow. You've got to continue the flow. You've got to pass it on. <clears throat> And this is maybe maybe one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It ends, John 13, 20. Very truly I tell you, whoever receives one whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. You ready for this? Whoever receives the relationship That we are given in God, that we can have with someone else, receives God. How's that for an evangelism strategy? (laughs) Kind of redefines everything. Go and humbly serve as I've done, and if someone can receive it, they've received me as well. Impact formal or informal, is not a religious to-do. It's not a ceremony. It's a response to communion. It's a passing on of the flow that we have received in God. That we are given the opportunity to do as Jesus has done and to keep the flow going. Let's pray, and then we can mm-hmm. and we're going to sing a song. Eternal God, in the sharing of a meal, your Son established a new covenant for all people. And in the washing of feet, he showed us the dignity of service. Grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit... These signs of our life in faith may speak again to our hearts, feed our spirits, and refresh our bodies.